Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our listeners joining us today. This is Sometimes Baseball. I'm Will Heisentruitt. Everybody calls me Trout. And I'm joined by biker, world traveler, former teacher, former Jimmy John's delivery guy, and future psychologist, Carrie Jarvie. How are you? Hello. It's good to see you. It's good to hear from you. I'm doing pretty well. The, the weather's been cooperating, so I've, I've been going on some long runs. It's been great. Nice, nice. And you just had your graduation ceremony over the weekend, even though you're not technically done with classes until September, right? That's exactly right. I had to improvise my, my graduation hood and tassel. So I, I found a uh, Aloha, you know, blue lei, and I used an orchid to be my tassel. I moved that from <laughs> left to right. That was my, my improvised version. I, honestly, I liked it a little bit better. It was much brighter, much happier than a, a drab black hood like eh, this is much nicer so yeah. that's awesome yeah plus you didn't have to be in like the summer heat with it so that's also good <laughs> no that's true yeah i got to be in the comfort of my own home nobody knew i was wearing sweatpants uh on the bottom half of my suit so <laughs> yes yes that, that's how i've been working at home and uh i've been wearing like shorts every day so i feel that for sure <laughs> All right, so let's run through our agenda real quick for our listeners so they know what to expect to listen to. So we're going to run through some thoughts that we've been having, and then we're going to run through a kind of like a combo deal of uh, today in baseball history as well as trivia to go along with that. It'll be fun, I promise. Uh, and then after that, we're going to go, we're going to take a deep dive into the NL and AL Central, and we're going to highlight some key players, acquisitions, and just like our general feel for the clubs and how we're doing with that. And then we're going to go through some song lyrics that we've chosen. And then we're going to end it with the trending Twitter topic for the day. So with that all being said, if any of our listeners have a fun Twitter story they want us to talk about, trivia they think can stump guests like Carrie, you can be a part of this show. All you have to do is reach out to us on either Instagram or Twitter. On Instagram, you can DM us at Sometimes Baseball. And on Twitter, you can reach us at Sometimes Baseball. And that... Twitter is handle is spelled S-O-M-E-T-I-M-E-S-B-S-B-L. Additionally, if you like our logo, head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash sometimes baseball. And that's T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G dot com. If you don't like any of the current designs, you can reach out to our email, which is, you guessed it, sometimes baseball at gmail.com. We'll work with you to get a customized design that you can order at a super low price. Let's get it started. Carrie, what you been thinking? Oh, man. All right. I had a revelation the other day that if I don't need something urgently, sometimes it's nicer to pick the longer shipping time because that way I'll forget that I bought the thing. And then when it shows up in the mail, it feels like a Christmas present. Huh. It's like it's that much more exciting because I completely forgot I spent money on that thing. So that's, that's my little accidental uh, tip for life. I feel that for sure, because I don't know if you've been listening to previous podcast episodes. I don't know why you would. There's nothing ever meaningful that comes about out of this, but I do have a Don Drysdale jersey on the way, and that's because of the hidden 53 in the logo, so I forgot I ordered that, so let's check out its shipping. I'm on the app right now. Let's track items. Uh, last shipping update was June 18th, and we are recording on June 23rd, so... <laughs> five days ago <laughs> yeah uh so i don't know where it is shipping from china we'll figure it out but uh yeah no great great meaningless thought we really appreciate yeah. that 
All right. I tried to strike between meaningless and meaning, and I think it it hits that gray area real well. It's like, yeah, oh, 100%. I don't know. No, I think think it's perfect. I think it's perfect. I think people can relate. I think it's good. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So here's what I've been thinking. David and I talked last week about we were running through the NL and AL East. And we were talking about our mutual love of what the Blue Jays are doing. And that kind of got me thinking, like, why do we love what they're doing? And the answer is pretty simple. It's because it works. They just happen to hit on all these guys at the same time. I'm sure the Pirates would love to be in their position. They just haven't hit as often. But that might be the most meaningful thought I ever have in this long uh, segment we're ever going to do for however long we're going to have the show. So thoughts on that, Kerry? Yeah, I I think it's interesting, you know, that – it would be fun to go back and unpack sort of draft strategy and trade strategy over the last couple of years to, to see if how, how intentional that was. Cause there's a lot of those like high risk, high reward guys that sometimes just like don't hit like the pirates have. And then yeah. there's like the lower risk college guys that are like, okay, maybe not as high a ceiling, but we feel pretty confident we're going to get something out of them. So I wonder how, how intentional that was. I know the Padres are trying to do a timing kind of thing too. They've, they've drafted a lot of college people the last couple of years to try and, sort of bringing their whole wave of, of prospects at the same time. Yeah, no, the Padres are doing something out there. Well, uh, for listeners of the show, all four of you, uh, <laughs> next week we'll be breaking down the AL and NL West divisions, mm-hmm. uh, those 10 teams. But this week we're talking about the NL and AL Central. But, yes, I like what the Padres are doing. And that's because, like we said, it's working. So that was my thought for the week. All right, so today in baseball history, June 23rd, 2008, Felix Hernandez of the Seattle Mariners hits a second-inning grand slam off Johan Santana of the New York Mets in a 5-2 victory. (laughs) He is the first American League pitcher to hit a grand slam since Steve Dunning did so on May 11th, 1971, which was before the implementation of the DH in the American League. So I've been doing all sorts of digging. I went to fangraphs.com and I pulled all DH statistics and all pitching hitting statistics, all the pitchers who their hitting statistics from 2002 until the end of 2019. But Kerry, I want to hear your thoughts on what are we gaining or losing from the elimination of designated hitter? as the rules in 2020 are most likely going to be adding the DH to the National League? Well, uh, obviously there's, there's the, the tradition and the strategy of, of managing bullpen and things that kind of carries on in the NL. But um, on the flip side, the AL, uh, you, you don't risk having a pitcher injury. I don't have any numbers offhand, but I'm certain there are of pitchers getting hurt up there swinging. Um, and it's Adam not... Yeah. Oh, yeah. For example, you know, thank you for making that personal. And we right, Cardinals. <laughs> sure. Um, but they're they're up there doing something that's not in their skill set, right? They've practiced pitching. They're so specialized in you know making the ball move the way they want it to move. They don't spend time swinging the bat, so they're you know they're out there putting themselves at risk to get hurt for something they're not trained to do. They're not going to do well. Uh, I'll I'll save it for my fun story a little bit later in our agenda, but. Um, as, as exciting as pitcher hitting uh, situations are, it's just a, a place for them to get injured. And also is, uh, oh gosh, I lost my other thought. Oh yeah, um, for, for the more veteran players, as they get older and, you know, I, I know 
uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about how the game's kind of skewing younger. Yeah. Um, you you want to talk about ways to keep older, more veteran players involved and able to like you know stay on the field. Look at guys like David Ortiz, you know, DHs who who don't really bring defensive value, defensive value, but man, can they swing the bat and they can still have a, a meaningful role for a long time. So I, I imagine older players would be all about having having DH everywhere. Yeah, Edgar Martinez, he's a Hall of Fame player because of the DH. Yeah, yeah, case in point. Yes. All right, so with this, all the stats I've pulled out, we're going to play some trivia, see if Kerry can guess the pitcher or hitter based on the situation I give him. So, Kerry, there have been, since 2002, 13 total grand slams by pitchers. So, batting with the bases loaded. There is one pitcher with two. Can you name him? Ooh. I'm trying to remember who athletic pitchers are. I remember that was a big discussion when Zach Granke went to Arizona and then that he was going to lose some value when he moved to Houston because he wouldn't be batting anymore. So I'm going to guess Zach Granke. No, he actually does not have a grand slam. The correct answer is Madison Bumgarner. He has two grand slams. Oh, yeah, that's right. He hit it out in the water. That's right. Oh, no, wait, he's supposed to go fish it out of the water, not hit it out in the water. Yeah, because he gave up the homer to Muncy, yes. Yes. All right, well, first off, that quote makes absolutely zero sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I told him to go get it out of the water. Like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> and then people, people are putting it on T-shirts, thinking it's like the coolest thing ever. That makes absolutely zero sense. That I think that's I think that's the fun. I think that's why it's quotable. It's like, it doesn't make any kind of sense. <laughs> Yeah, oh gosh. But yeah, so other guys with a grand slam, as we mentioned, Felix Hernandez, but some guy named Robert Person, Sean Markham, Travis Wood, Jaime Garcia, Jake Westbrook, Jason Marquis, Brad Penny, Chris Carpenter, Anthony DiSclefani, and Dontrell Willis. Did I hear right that there are four or five Cardinals on that list? I think so. Uh, definitely. Garcia, Chris Carpenter, I know for a fact, well, I'll skip ahead to my, my fun baseball story, which I was going to share. I, I was at the game when Brad Penny hit that grand slam. We were looking at the bottom of the order. I was hungry. I went to go get a hot dog. I was standing in line for the hot dog. I hear like a crack of a bat and a bunch of people clapping. I'm like, no, no, this is the bottom of the order. There's no way. Brad Penny hits a grand slam. And it was like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, and you missed it. I miss it. I, I hurried back and I saw him trotting uh, the bases, but you, you think you can skip the pitcher and then uh, it turns out every once in a while it's a grand slam. So Yeah, and I think that really leads into my thoughts that I want to offer on potentially losing the DH. I think it's good. I really don't think it's that too big of a deal. I kind of liken a pitcher hitting a home run as somebody hitting a half-court buzzer beater shot at the end of halftime <laughs> like it's kind of cool you probably wish you could have seen it but at the same time it's like it really doesn't add any value like i, I don't really <laughs> like it's halftime like the same thing like pitchers aren't going to be hitting in in like the seventh or eighth inning like in like high leverage situations right so I, that's how i, I really I, view it i'd rather have the specialized guy up there who is, you know, Edgar Martinez, the guy who's out there to hit, just go up and do what he came to do, just hit the ball, you know? Yes. So th this is what I want to run through is some stats. So of all the plate appearances 
from 2002 to 2019, I'm looking at just DHs right here, people batting in the DH position. There have been 140,233 plate appearances. 23% <laughs> have ended in hits for the DH. Singles accounted uh, for 14.2% of the plate appearances. Doubles accounted for 4.6%. Triples accounted for 0.2%. Walks accounted for 10.1% of all plate appearances. And home runs accounted for 3.9%. Now, for the pitchers, on the other hand, there have been 84,129 plate appearances for people batting in the pitcher slot. And only 12.2% of those have ended in hits, different from the 23% we had before. 9.7% are singles, 1.9% are doubles, 0.1% are triples, <laughs> and 0.5% are home runs with only 3.2% of walks. So I think there is a very clear difference between the stats of the pitchers and the DH. And I think if baseball really wants to connect with fans more, they need more offense and the DH is the best way to get it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm right on board for that. You know, we talk about um, pace of play being a concern, people switching pitchers left and yeah, the overall, I feel like the offense is far better for the game and the future of where it wants to go. Colin Coward, I don't know if you know him, but he always talks about putting your best athletes in the best position to play. All right, Carrie, more trivia for you. One pitcher has been intentionally walked since 2002 can you name him uh who's was this tony larusa who called for this this sounds like a harebrained thing he would try and do um no oh gosh i'm trying to imagine who the manager was that was like yeah intentionally walk walk the pitcher um but who was that pitcher i'm i'm gonna double down on zach grinky <laughs> no so the answer is brooks Kishnik. Ah, household name, Brooks Kishnik. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so this happened in 2004, and in the bottom of the eighth with one out, two on, and the score tied at four to four, and Ken Griffey Jr. walking up to the plate, the Brewers bring in Brooks Kishnik to try and stop the Reds' rally. And that left him batting ninth in the order. He strikes out Griffey and the next batter to end the inning. And after a single in the top of the ninth, and the guy was intentionally caught stealing, uh, the next guy up hits a double, and that brings Brooks Kishnick up to the plate. The Reds decide to intentionally walk him with the idea that the on-deck hitter, Scott Podsednik, will ground into a double play. <laughs> Podsednik obliges and immediately grounds into a double play to make the Reds look like absolute geniuses. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I just thought that was the most fun thing I could possibly find. Like, of all, like, there's, like, so many counting stats on this Excel spreadsheet that I've got open, and there's just, like, a measly little one of sum of intentional walks. <laughs> how, uh, how many pitcher intentional walks? One. <laughs> Yeah. And, and this is before the era of advanced stats where we know, like, oh, that's a ground ball guy. He hits, you know. Yeah, uh, no, it was just shift on. Like, none of that's happening here. It's all just, like, gut feel. We got to <laughs> – this is definitely going to pan out for us. And then, of course, it did. I'm surprised it didn't take off. The Reds didn't try it again later. 
yeah, it, it is just <laughs> it was just under the assumption that yeah, he's been hitting a lot of ground balls. <laughs> and I, gosh, I just think that's so ridiculous. All right, so other fun DH and pitching stats. Who has the most grand slams as a DH? So we know it's Madison Bumgarner on the pitcher side. Who on the DH side has the most grand slams? Ooh, it's going to be one of these career guys. Most grand slams. Hmm. I'll say David Ortiz. Close. He has hit 10 grand slams as a DH. Travis Hafner has hit 11. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know anything about Travis Hafner. Do you? I don't either. No, <laughs> that's not a name that uh, comes to my mind easily. I'm going to look. At, I don't even know. Like, I know nothing about Travis Hafner. Yeah, God, it's very interesting. Let me uh, see if I can look up some Travis Hafner stats. Played until 2013, mostly on Cleveland. Ooh, he had a career year in 2006. 42 home runs worth six war by fan graphs. Holy smokes. Yeah, he had a 659 slugging and a 1097 OPS and a 181 OPS plus to all lead the league. He only finished the eighth in MVP voting that year. Huh. A lot of people probably dinged him just because he plays designated hitter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there's – yeah, I, I think – it's hard to gauge how much to appropriately kind of dock a player who, who is a – only DH hitter, um, but I think there should be like a, a penalty kind of given when they're taking that into consideration for MVP voting because they weren't on the field. They didn't have to make defensive plays. They weren't out there, you know, they didn't have to, they had to only do one skill really well than, you know, yeah. all the tools of, of being a fielding ball player. So, uh, yeah, I agree. All right. One more fun trivia question for you. So, I love triples. I think there should be more of them. And who leads all designated hitters in triples? Now, keep in mind, these guys are not typically viewed as fleet of foot. So, who's your guess? Uh, I was going to pick someone. Hmm. My brain went to Ben Zobrist, but he was a defensive wizard. So, there's no way they would have had him at DH that often. Triples, triples. Uh, Nelson Cruz. No, it is David Ortiz. <laughs> ah. So since 2002, he has 16 triples. Should have sucked my guns. Yes, and, but I think he's going to get passed real quick by Shohei Otani. Through just two seasons, he already has seven. I think we're going to end it there. We'll just jump into the next topic of NL and AL Central predictions. So, Kerry's a big Cardinals guy. Kerry, let's start off with the Cardinals. How are you feeling on the Cardinals this year? Take it away. Uh, the Cardinals are going to be interesting. I think the whole, the whole season, if it happens this year, is going to be a complete crapshoot. It's so hard to know um, what's going to happen. But, you know, having Jack Flaherty at the top of our rotation is pretty fantastic. Our bullpen's pretty good. It's still – we'll have to see what happens when, when players get stretched out, if what they do with Carlos Martinez, um, whether they decide to put him in um, a starter role or if they, they keep him in the bullpen. But, yeah, overall, I think the Cardinals stand a, a decent chance in this division. It's, there's a lot of teams kind of like in the, 85, in the 85 to 90 win range, and it's really hard to know who's going to come out on top. 
if it were a full season, 85 would be winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. I got you. Yeah, the, the lineup is uh, pretty interesting. Goldschmidt, obviously, is going to anchor that again. What are your thoughts on Paul DeYoung after his big year last year? I think he's sort of proven. Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, he's one of the swing changers who's gone in and, and done some of this, like, uh, advanced analysis to improve his swing, and it seems to have stuck. So I, I feel really good about Paul DeYoung. Tommy Enman, fantastic story. Love the spark that he gave us last year. I have no idea if it's going to carry through this year. I, I, I can hope as a fan, but... Uh, some of the underlying stuff says he he got kind of lucky. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think with the DH, I think it'd be good for guys like Tyler O'Neill getting some at bats. Even somebody like uh, Brad Miller, uh, he's been real good against righties. But yeah, yeah, no, I think definitely the starting rotation is the anchor of that team. Uh, Wainwright's probably going to be the fourth or fifth guy in that rotation, with mm-hmm. guys like Flaherty. Dakota Hudson, who had a really good rookie year. Miles Michaelis. I think it'll be interesting. Bullpen, when do you expect Jordan Hicks back? They were expecting him to be back in July if it were a regular season. Oh, wow. As early as July. So we'll have to see what his his rehab and throwing is looking like. But we could see Jordan Hicks showing up partway through this little 60-game stint. Yeah, because that could be huge for sure. And then uh, I guess also like the loss of Ozuna – do you think they've done enough to replace that or the incumbents were already there? They didn't really do much to replace. They are, our off season is like basically standing still and hoping for kind of a bounce back from yeah. Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt not getting off to a hot start. Uh, this will be an interesting experiment for, for those two guys who have had slow starts the last couple of years, whether that's, is it rust, you know, from the off season that takes some time to get warmed up? Or is it the cold weather that uh, is causing them to, to have a slow start? There's um, some some studies that have shown it's like maybe it's cold weather that, that caused some of these older players to not do as well. So, yeah, if, if it's the cold weather, then we're set. We're golden. They'll, they'll just hop right in and be all-star caliber players and we'll ride right into the playoffs. But who knows? Yep, yeah. And I think uh... – that's going to be something very interesting to watch with this uh, 60-game season or whatever, however long it may be. If pitchers on the whole aren't really too ready and aren't, like, if they have, like, two or three bad starts in a row, that's a good portion of the season. And mm-hmm. so if the, But if the hitters are hot early, they can just bang out a whole bunch of wins off these pitchers real quick. And I think that will be something really important to watch in the first few weeks of the season is what lineups are hot, what pitching staffs are cold. I think another thing that's really going to show up is the players who do a good job of taking care of themselves. Yeah. Like I know, I know Matt Carpenter is one who's really, really diligent about taking care of his body and working out in the off season. But other players, I remember a couple of years ago, like Pablo Sandoval put on a bunch of weight in the off season and Michael Pineda put on a bunch of weight in the off season and they had to spend most of spring training, those teams, Giants and it was Mariners or it was Yankees back then for Pineda, but they spent a big chunk of spring training was just losing the off season weight yeah. uh, and, and just kind of getting back in baseball shape. So it's really going to be a big question who kept themselves in baseball shape uh, this whole time while we've been at home um, and is going to be ready to go. Yeah. And that was really why spring training is still a thing just because it started out because guys were not in baseball shape. And mm-hmm. that's what those three, four weeks were for is to, get these guys back playing baseball. But I think 
it could change now just because guys play throughout the entire winters and whatnot, mm-hmm. and they really keep themselves in shape more than they have in the past because they know how important it can be. Absolutely. All right, jumping ahead to the Cincinnati Reds. They added Nick Castellanos, Mike Mistakis, Shogo Akiyama, Wade Miley, and Pedro Strope, while losing Alex Wood, Derek Dietrich, who got off to a really fast start, and Jose Peraza. Now, David did text me because he couldn't be on the show. He wanted to say that he loves what the Reds are doing. He offered no further context. I can add to that. I, I think I also see the Reds as a, a big threat in the Central. They're, they're doing fantastic work. And don't forget, they also added Trevor Bauer at the trade deadline last year as kind of like a one-and-a-half-season acquisition. So they've really revamped that pitching staff. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty big threat. The pitching staff is going to look really good. And the Reds are one of the biggest uh, beneficiaries if, if we have DH across the league because guys like Nick Castellanos – not great for defense, almost all offense, right? And that's they're going to be one of the big uh, big boosts from that. Yes, I agree 100% with whatever you, David thinks and what, what you all said right there. Their lineup is going to be popping. And if they can put Nick Castellanos at that DH spot, the NL Central better watch out. I, I, I really like what they're doing. If their rotation can hit, 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 um, mm-hmm. with those five guys like Wade Miley might be one of the more important guys because after you run through the rotation of first four guys he's a guy that can get you like six seven innings of just okay pitching and I think mm-hmm. that might be one of the most important guys their rotation is deep their lineup is super deep I think they would like a little bit more with that bullpen although I do like Amir Garrett and Michael Lorenzen uh, I do think they could potentially, with expanded playoffs as a part of this potential deal, really sneak into that eighth spot. Absolutely. And when you have a pitching staff like that, you can kind of disguise some of the stuff. That they're, they're expected to have Mike Moustakas at second base, which is, you know, he did okay for the Brewers there. Yeah. Um, but uh, when you have a pitching staff like this, you can, you can hide a bunch of, uh, you know, defensive liabilities, um, which is part of, you know, what they were hoping for with Castellanos anyway, right? Um, yeah. So they, they've got some other, you know, sort of hit first kind of guys and, and the pitching stuff kind of buoys that. So they're, yeah, exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. And the perennial anchor of that lineup will again be Joey Votto. <laughs> he didn't have that great of a season last year. He's been working hard, I've been seeing, but – I think Vado-Matic might come back. <laughs> well, he's one of the guys that, you know, he, he might have lost some of his zap. He's getting a bit older. He might have lost some of that, that power. But in terms of guys who I, you can expect to come back fully prepared from the offseason, you know he's been working out every single day, right? Oh, yeah. He's that 100%. kind of guy. All right, let's move on to the Cubs. They added Jason Kipnis, who didn't have a great year last year, Steven Souza, and Jeremy Jeffress. They lost, though, starter Cole Hamels, Addison mm-hmm. Russell, uh, Ben Zobris departed, and Pedro Strope also left. What are your thoughts on the Cubs? Jeez, uh, they're, they're going to be difficult one to see what's going to happen because Cole Hamels, big loss. Uh, but Darvish down the stretch really stepped up, and I think we're going to see – you, Darvish, last year was a tale of two seasons. Yes. Uh, 
and I think his his second half kind of showed he he hit his stride again and was doing well. And I think um, if he's back to full form, that'll offset a lot of the loss of Cole Hamels. Mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully Kimbrell will be ready to start the season. Uh, we'll see. They're, they're another team where DH is going to be really helpful because they've got a lot of, you know, hit first and they put in somebody for defense, um, like Hayward. And now they can have Hayward out there for just defense, right? Yeah. And, and have, they can still have a good bat in the lineup. So... Yeah, I think Kyle Schwarber will be a big benefactor of that. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the Cubs are interesting to me because they have one of the deeper teams. They have everything you're supposed to have on the hitting and defense side. I, I don't know, because last year it was so interesting how they didn't even make the playoffs. And for a team that everyone's expecting to go on – since the beginning of 2015, they're supposed to go on this big run. And they really haven't. They've kind of faltered recently. And I really wonder what's, that, what's the reason behind that. Uh, and it might be just their pitching staff is super old. But if you Darvish can be you Darvish 2013 version, mm -hmm. I think the rest of the Central might have to watch out. Absolutely. And, and a lot of these guys have really high peaks. Quintana also has that in him. He hasn't really shown it since he got traded to the Cubs, but in in a short burst of like 60 games, he absolutely could just be lights out. Who knows? 100%. 100%. I know I would never want to step in the box against his splitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, absolutely not. But I think the Cubs window might be closing just because they have all these old veterans on the team. Chris Bryant's contract is going to run out pretty soon. Mm -hmm. I, I'm interested on them. But I do think they have a deep enough lineup and rotation to get in there if you Darvish comes back and is the you Darvish the Cubs are paying for. All right, let's jump into the Milwaukee Brewers. They added – they did a whole lot of moving this winter. So – they lost Mike Moustakis, Yasmani Grandal, Gio Gonzalez, Zach Davies, Drew Pomerantz, Travis Shaw, and Trent Grisham, who the Nationals are very thankful for. But they added Avisayo Garcia, Omar Narvaez, Josh Lindblom out of the Japanese League. I think so. Okay. And they also added Luis Urias, Justin Smoke, Brock Holt, and Eric Sogard. And I love their offseason. Yes, they lost a very important piece in Yasmani Grandal. I think he might have been the most pivotal part of their lineup last year that got him to the playoffs, but they made some great moves. I think Luis Arias has the potential to just explode, especially at the shortstop position. Any, any kind of offense out of there would be amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. Josh Lindblom, I've looked at some of his stats. I think he's going to be great. Ryan Braun in the DH spot is going to be perfect fit for him. You got Lorenzo Kane in center. I love Avisael Garcia's bat. I think he's going to do great. And then obviously you got Christian Yelich. I think the rotation is the bigger question mark, but their bullpen, that's shut down. Yeah. And this, this is where it's really going to matter what the structure of our uh, shortened season looks like. Yes. They, they're so bullpen heavy. They really, I mean, rely on those off days and those rest days so that their, their bullpen can backfill. You know, 
you count on Anderson or Lauer in, in their starting rotation to only go like five innings, right? That's as yeah. much as you can really count on. And they want their bullpen to cover six, seven, eight, nine. But if there's no off days built in, it's, it's going to be hard to, it's going to be hard to keep those guys fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Lorenzo Cain uh, is getting kind of up there. It looks like yeah. he might, he might have lost a step. We'll have to see what, what he looks like this year. But like exactly as you said, uh, the upside for Lise Urias is the moon. He, he is just he, – he could be anything. And Keston Hura was huge last year. And just focusing on the offseason changes, I, I, I worry about their rotation. I know they've, yes. they've done some, like, advanced stuff to, to improve pitchers, but part of that was because they had Grandal as an amazing – offense and defensive catcher yeah and what it, this you know Narvaez and Pinas they're like kind of fill in who knows how they're going to be for those pitchers if they're going to be the same you know kind of signal callers and they can steal those strikes and stuff during the game it, it's going to be a big question mark yeah I I agree with every, everything you just said and yeah Lorenzo Kane probably has lost a step I know he's dealing with some nagging injuries near the end of the season but I think Keston Hira I think he can take that next step, especially defensively. Uh, hopefully he's been working on that because that was probably the biggest question mark around him. But, yes, I think Ryan Braun would slot it nicely into that DH role. And But, yeah, definitely the rotation I think could be a problem. Now, something you mentioned, they do rely on those off days, some floating through the rumor mill of what a potential rule change will be at the beginning of the season is to have a 30-man roster size through like the first mm-hmm. two weeks of the season okay i think could be very interesting that they could utilize very heavily but yeah I, and they also i didn't know this they have shelby miller <laughs> which i think is pretty interesting <laughs> they, they, that's what they've done the last couple of years is pick guys off the scrap heap and you know teach them you know a new grip or you know a slight angle change for for a pitch and they come out way better than they were before so we'll see yeah, and their bullpen, it's filled with guys that can go two innings, which is, I think, the best way to build a bullpen in today's mm-hmm. game. If you can have guys going elite one inning or really good two innings or above average three innings, then you got mm-hmm. a ridiculous bullpen. And I think they have it between Hader, Knable, Freddie Peralta, former starter, Corbin Burns, former starter, Ray Black, who was acquired in that one deal uh, with the Giants last year. Yeah, I, you know, and this is for people thinking about the future of baseball. This is what I think we can expect for pitching staffs to look like, you know, 10 years from now, um, barring any rule changes, a lot more bullpen heavy rotations with guys who can go a couple of innings, you know, maybe former starters who couldn't quite cut it at like five or six innings, but they can be, you know, they can give everything for two innings and be absolutely shut down. I, I think this is a lot of the trend of where baseball is going. So. Yes. A hundred percent. All right. Well, let's move on to the pirates. There really isn't that much to talk about with the pirates. Um, is there anything they're hoping for that they could gain from, from this season? Anyone they can try out? I don't I, salvage Chris Archer. Is that kind of the goal here? No, he had surgery like a couple weeks ago. He might even pitch this season. Auction off Josh Bell's DH services to somebody. Like what, 
What? I don't know. Like, they, they were the most frustrating team at the deadline last year. They were the most frustrating team in the offseason this last year. I'm sure they'll be the most frustrating team again at the deadline this season. They are just so content with being the 20th highest payroll and winning 65 to 75 games every single year. And it, I honestly feel bad for Pittsburgh fans that have to watch this year in and year out. The obvious thing to do last year at the deadline, clean house, get Josh Bell off, bring back all these prospects. He was having a ridiculous first half, and then he tailed off in the second half, and he lost a lot of value because of that. Adam Frazier was having crazy weeks. Trade him. Yeah. Even in Brian Reynolds, keep them around. You know, that they're, they're the young rookies. But, oh, my gosh, do something. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, their rotation, it, it's a bunch of guys that have – I would describe them as having low floors, not, not ex- exactly high ceilings, which I, I think is – just perfectly describes the Pirates. Now what you're hoping for in a rotation is uh... – a low, low ceiling, low floor. Ooh. Uh... Or sorry, I misspoke. I meant high floors. Oh, oh, high floors. Yeah. They're... Wait, did I? I don't know what you meant. Uh, but yeah, this team has kind of just been the Garrett Cole deal did not work out. The main pieces they got back from that were Colin Moran, who is going to make a sing- every error that you can think of. Joe Musgrove, who is apparently their ace, and I, I really don't see it. Uh, it's ugly. It's ugly. But uh, for if there's Pittsburgh fans listening in, something you can kind of hang your head on is looking at what Mitch Keller is going to do. He had a very interesting, you know, 48 innings last season. You know, I am interested in him. And they do have a guy named Brian Hayes, who I think is interesting. But mm-hmm. – the Pirates, they really got dealt a bad hand last year when Felipe Vasquez got uh, suspended. <laughs> and, yeah, which is, you know, uh, rightfully so. Absolutely disgusting what he, he was uh, pegged for. What he was guilty of, yes. Um, but on the team side, it means an even weaker pitching staff than there was before. So, Yeah, I, I think uh, the thing – the best thing for them to do this year is to just cut ties and trade guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trade trade for lots of you know distant, high upside prospects. You know, nineteen year olds who are years away but have enormous ceilings. That's what they gotta yeah. hope for. Yeah, they they gotta pull a Cubs. They gotta they gotta yeah. break it down. Trade for bats, draft bats, and then use those bats to trade for pitchers. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the best way to do it. All right, so that wraps up the NL Central. We'll move on to the AL Central now. And so we're going to look at some like the key acquisitions, losses like we just did. So let's start off with the Chicago White Sox. Key acquisitions, Yasmani Grandal, Leo Gonzalez, Dallas Keuchel, Edwin Encarnacion, Steve Ciche. Now they also did lose Yomer Sanchez who won the Gold Glove Award at second base. But I don't know. I think their offseason was pretty awesome. Uh, looking at their lineup, it's going to look pretty good too. They got Yoan Mancata looking to take that next step. Jose mm-hmm. Abreu back and ready for action. Eloy Jimenez looking to take that next step. And Luis Robert in a man center field for them, the third overall prospect in the game. I'm very excited. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
This is, this is a, if you want to talk about someone who could sneaky, you know, win the World Series this season, it's the White Sox. Like, yes. the, their pitching staff is, is not great. Um, well, it, it's Giolito, and they have a lot of, like, medium okay guys. But this is where, you know, the Brewers' loss is the White Sox gain, and yes, Money Grandall, because I think oh, yeah. they do a lot to help make that pitching staff uh, be more than it would otherwise. Yeah, and looking at their pitching staff, though, they do have Michael Kopech coming back at some point. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be very interesting. They also have Carlos Rodon coming back with uh, after his Tommy John surgery. So a couple guys with really high upside, along with Dallas Keuchel, who's going to eat, eat a bunch of innings. Gio Gonzalez is going to eat a bunch of innings. And if it weren't for this short season, I think the White Sox were maybe the biggest team that had the most to gain from having a full season of at-bats. You know, for just to see, it's like, hey, if it works, that's awesome. But if not, we're going to get 600 at-bats for Yohan Moncada, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Romero. Yeah, they needed that development. They needed the reps for sure. And then also give guys like Kopech uh, 100 innings after his injury, Rodon get him – 75 innings, and then let, let Lucas Giolito off the leash and just see where it can take you. Yeah. And, I mean, just talking about the White Sox generally, a lot of these guys, they still have next year. Oh, um, yeah. So this season, I mean, they're going to be in the hunt because everybody's going to be in the hunt. Um, but it's even a shortened season is still really useful information for them to know. This offseason, you know, should they buy in on some of these big free agents? It's, it's going to be a, a really interesting season for the White Sox. I wouldn't bet on them to win anything, but I wouldn't be surprised, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. All right, let's jump to the Indians. They just missed a playoff last year uh, with a 93-69 and 69 record. So for their key acquisitions, they did acquire Emmanuel Clace, who made his major league debut last year. Uh, with a 2-3-1 ERA in relief, and Cesar Hernandez off free agency. Uh, but they did lose Tyler Clipper to free agency, Jason Kipnis, and they traded Corey Kluber. Now, I'll just say this. The Corey Kluber trade was one of the most interesting because they traded him at almost minimal value to the Texas Rangers. I, I don't know what was going through their minds. Like, this is an absolute sell-low situation, uh, on Corey Kluber. So I, I guess they just have never heard any investing advice. I, I'm not sure what happened here, but yeah, they sold low for some reason. Yeah. And another storyline in terms of selling to watch with the Indians is what they're going to do with Francisco Lindor. Mm-hmm. I am very curious to see what they do. I think in the shortened season, they might not trade him just because so much can happen in 60 games. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they might hold them to the off season. I think that makes the most sense for the Indians, but they're also losing some value. You can trade with them, obviously. Uh, but yeah, up and down the lineup, it's interesting. Uh, Framio Reyes, I think he's a good, he, he can match the baseball. I think they're looking for a big bounce back from Jose Ramirez. He had a mm-hmm. not great year last year. <laughs> I, I think he'll be back. He came back down the stretch. I think um, there was some talk about what those kinks were. I think um, someone got in his ear about a mechanical tweak. And then uh, his I remember reports about his agent talking to him about, like, let go of that. Just go back to what you did. And as soon as he did, it was like a light switch got flipped. And he, he yeah. became Jose Ramirez again. So I, I think he's going to be back to, you know, the full Jose Ramirez we expect to see. 
I mean, you talked about their off-season changes, and it's like they lost Kluber and not a heck of a lot else. And it's really disappointing to see how little they did to address their outfield. I mean, their outfield yeah. is just a black hole of sadness uh, for Cleveland fans. I mean, there, there's just nothing that's going to happen there. Um, it's, it's like all mediocre. They have – it's nothing. It, it is an absolute, like, gaping void in their offense, and they're not great defensively either. And they knew it, yeah. and they did absolutely nothing about it. And they lost Corey Kluber. So – I would have thought they would have brought back uh, Yasiel Puig on a one-year deal because he is good defensively, and he has upside as a bat. Yes. Um, probably the price tag was the problem with him. And he's probably I mean, why they traded but not that expensive. Like, yeah, no, he's not that expensive. Um, but the team really is built around pitching. Like, their starters mm-hmm. are very good. They have Mike Clevenger. They have Shane Bieber, Carlos Carrasco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Aaron Civali, I think, is – he's kind of like an innings eater, middle-of-the-road guy. And then Zach Plesek mm-hmm. also has some upside. So, like, their pitching staff is pretty good. I don't know where they'd stand in a 60-game season. Because if, like we've said before, if their pitchers don't hit, it, they're, they're going to lose a lot of games early. Yep. Yeah, they're they're really going to rely on on Clevenger, Bieber, and Carrasco coming back and being full force. And they, there's just not a lot of time for them to air out, you know, any mistakes. There's just they just have to come out swinging or not swinging, come out pitching. I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I misspoke as well. I said they got to hit. I obviously meant in terms of pitching well but I think the White Sox do have the most to gain the Indians might have the most to lose with this short season mm. all right yeah. let's jump to the Tigers I really Is that don't enough talk. that's great okay next team uh well I will say this though okay <laughs> I, I I am excited to see if they bring up Casey Mize their seventh overall prospect and um some other guys Matt Manning is the 24th overall prospect yeah. Just to get some of these guys out of the rotation to pair up with Matthew Boyd. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't really want to talk about their lineup at all. Um. No, I, I, that's what you're looking for as a Tigers fan. Matt Manning, Casey Mize coming to the majors, getting some time, exposure to major league hitting. They're about ready for it. So that's, that's what they got. Uh, maybe someone will hit really well and they can <laughs> trade them off to another team. but. I, I don't know. Scope is is that like <laughs> they can look at for offense? Like what? I, yeah, I don't know. I really don't. Miguel hey, Cabrera is gonna have a comeback magically. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, all right, we can move on. Uh, well, I guess the next team isn't that great of a topic talking topic either because it's the Kansas City Royals. Their only major key acquisition was Michael Franco, and I think mm-hmm. he'll he'll do great as a designated hitter. Get him at bats every day just to get him get his back going. But yeah, they're another team uh, that I think just could have done. They could have probably wanted the extended season, you know, just get more at bats for guys like mm. Michael Franco, uh, Nick Lopez, the second baseman. Yeah, I don't know because they got they're aging too. Alex Gordon's getting older. Salvador Perez is on his last legs. Whit Merrifield is is older than I think a lot of people think he is. He's, yeah, isn't he like in his mid thirties? Jeez. Yeah, thirty one, thirty two, something like that. Yeah, and then yeah, the rotation. Ah, all right. 
let's move on to your the team you wanted to talk about the most about this week. Oh my gosh, the Minnesota Twins. So I'll just finally. I'll just run through the acquisitions and then uh, and losses, and you can get rolling on that carry. So they acquired okay. Tyler Clippern, who is old, but he had a 2.9 ERA last year. They acquired Rich Hill, who I think could be great in the fifth spot of a rotation. Josh Donaldson coming off the great year with the Braves, where he hit 37 home runs, and uh, traded for Kenta Maeda. In that Kenta Maeda deal, they did lose Bruce Star Greaterol, the number 53 overall prospect, and they also lost Jonathan Scope to free agency. All right, Kerry, take it away. All right. Uh, yeah, the, the Kenta Maeda trade does not look as great because they were counting on him to really be an innings eater. Yeah. Well, uh, so they could have used the upside in the bullpen, and obviously Greaterol's a, a long-term piece, but this offense is just going to be ridiculous. It is, it is, I mean, as, as a team last season, they just hit so many home runs. And they added Josh Donaldson to that. So it's, it's only going to be, you know, more of this team. Um, and I, I loved when they were looking at a full season, they kind of planned out, all right, we're going to have Jose Barrios, and Jake Odorizzi at the top of our rotation. And then we're going to add Maeda. That's going to get us through the whole year. Most of those guys are pretty steady. We'll also add Homer Bailey as a backhand, you know. And they were just counting on those guys to, to get through the first half. The second half is when Michael Pineda's suspension is up. Rich Hill is supposed to be ready. And we're starting in the second half here, right? This is like we're starting with just the second half of the season when they were counting on those guys to come back and be a big, essentially like mid-season trade acquisition. Yeah. Uh, they bought low. The guys were not super expensive to, to bring Pineda and Hill to the rotation. But my goodness, do they have upside. I mean, we've, we've seen them their, their peaks. Um, I did talk earlier about Pineda not always being the best at keeping in shape in the offseason. So we'll have <laughs> to see, you know, what kind of, kind of shape they come back in. But um, we talked about the Tigers and the Royals. They're, they're going to get beat up on a lot by, by the Twins. Um, they'll get a lot of wins. And uh, as long as they – if we have expanded playoffs and the, the Twins are in those playoffs uh, and don't have to face the Yankees, um, they're going to they're gonna do really well. They have huge upside because they can spend – they can – we talked about – I mean, you, you mentioned a couple times appropriately that, like, teams – don't have a lot of wiggle room to air out their rotations and figure out who's right, who can we rely on, kind of get past injuries. This offense will buoy that. They're oh, so yeah. they they can they can afford to have some lost innings. Just figure out what are we going to get from Pinel, what are we going to get from Hill, so that by the time whatever the playoffs looks like rolls around, they can just roll out whoever is firing on all cylinders, and they can they can carry their way through the playoffs. So. I think the chance the Twins have a chance to go really deep in this short season. Yeah, and here's the thing with the Twins. Their lineup could be even better because they yes. have Royce Lewis, the number nine overall prospect, who I absolutely love. He can play shortstop. That mm -hmm. knocks Jorge Polanco out of the lineup. But you know what you can do with Jorge Polanco? Trade him for an arm. <laughs> yep. uh, Alex Kirilov, he has an ETA of 2020 in terms of prospect. He's a three-second mm -hmm. overall guy. He, he can play outfield, infield. Maybe put him in a lineup, too. Like, there's a lot the Twins could do. 
and I love what the twins are doing. Uh, but like that, as we talked about before, it's because it's working. <laughs> but yeah, adding Josh Donaldson to that lineup almost seemed unfair. <laughs> oh, it was just piling on. It was just piling on. They did, yeah, they did lose uh, Brewster Gratterall, but uh, they have another, they have a deep farm system. And like you mentioned, they, we got expanded rosters. So um, they're going to be able to tap into guys like Lewis Thorpe, who could potentially be MLB ready and, and take some of those innings. And if he's showing great stuff, like put him in the playoffs, he'll, he'll be ready for it. So, yeah. And one last note on the twins, you mentioned Michael Pineda. He was served a 60 game suspension and yes. he still has 39 games left on that suspension. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure how the suspensions were going to work in a, in a short yeah. season. It's games, though. He's going to miss two-thirds of the season. Oh, man. All right. But if he's working out, he could be the late-season acqu- acquisition, if you were, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, fill in nicely. Yeah, so that's it for the NL and AL Central. In the future, we will break down the divisions and see what we really think could be the predictions for who's going to win each division. Uh, But we're going to wait to do that for another episode. And that's also partly because we don't know all the rules yet and we don't know who's going to be playing against who and how that's going to work. So we're just going to put that off the side. All right, moving on to the song lyrics of the week. Carrie, give us your song lyric. Oh man. All right. My song lyric, it's more of a story. This is how I learned um, Santa's reindeer. I did not learn them as a child. Um, I, I knew, like, you know, Rudolph, obviously. I could probably name Blitzen, whatever. Then there was a song that came out. This is, uh, uh, this is where children cover your ears. No, I'm not going to say anything explicit, but um, <laughs> Usher had a song come out by an up, uh, had, and had featured an up-and-coming rapper who hadn't released any singles yet named Nicki Minaj. Um, she was the hot thing. The song is called Lil Freak. And in the middle of Usher's song, she raps out Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Common, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen. And I attempted to memorize her, her middle rap part in, the, in that song. I don't remember any of the rest of it, but I do remember the reindeer. And so now whenever I sing Santa's reindeer in my head, I hear it in Nicki Minaj's voice. So That's hilarious. Song lyric story. I love that. <laughs> I I don't know if I could name all the reindeer. I really couldn't. Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Donner, Blitzen. And Rudolph. Other than 100 degrees, no sesame seeds, if I'm in your city. Um, and that gets explicit, so I have to stop. But <laughs> All right. So here's my song lyric. It comes from, uh, it's by the band Starship. Uh, called We Built This City is the name of the song. And the lyric goes, Marconi plays the mamba. So there's two things with that. Uh, We Built This City has been perennially perennially crowned as the worst song of all time, uh, which I thought is hilarious. And if you listen to that song, you can probably guess why. Another, the other part of that fun lyric, Marconi plays the mamba. I had a teacher in middle school named Mrs. Marconi. So shout out to her, who I know is not listening to this. All right. <laughs> Let's uh, finish the show off with the trending Twitter topic. So video game creators just announced a lot of release dates for new games the other day. 
which were trending on Twitter. So, Carrie, what was your all-time favorite video game growing up? Ooh, man, I talk about this. Are you just trying to get my passwords into websites? Because that's going to be... <laughs> yeah. I loved Legend of Zelda generally. I had a friend who had a Nintendo 64. We played through Ocarina of Time together, and I, I, but it was at my friend's house. And so the first one that I, I bought my own Nintendo GameCube, and the first Zelda game I bought myself was Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. And I loved it. It's, I loved the tune, the, the tune art style. It has like a 2D cartoon art style. I loved uh, being able to command songs using your uh, conductor's baton. Uh, <laughs> it's like a major component of the game. I just, I love the exploration. It's just uh, an all-time favorite, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. That's awesome. I have not played that game. What uh, system was it on? Originally on the GameCube, they re-released it uh, in an HD version for the Wii U. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my favorite video game growing up, I would have to say is probably Lego Star Wars. That was a stalwart in, the, uh, in our household. That game is awesome. And like the whole goal was to obviously like beat all the levels and everything, but to get to like the 100% completion, you know? Oh, yeah. And oh, you had to do so much exploring, going back, rebeating levels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like th that's what makes it super cool is like the replayability of it, um, mm -hmm. which I really enjoy. And um, so like I love that game growing up. And mm -hmm. I recently found out that they made Lego Marvel uh, oh, video yeah. games. So I've been playing that and I've been loving that. Uh, it's so cool, so much fun. And I'm also learning about like uh, other characters like the Fantastic Four, Wolverine. I really never watched any of his movies. But yeah, so like it's super cool to like see all that and like at the same time like play like the different levels and whatnot. But I think that's that's one of my favorite things about the the Lego games generally. Lego Harry Potter is another great one because like they have there's two games, years one to four and years five to seven. So like oh you get a lot of like plot and action in those in those uh lego harry potter games but one of the things i love about all the lego games is how many characters you can choose from oh yeah like all these little minor characters that you completely forgot are in the movies but you can play entire levels as them yeah uh, in the game it's it's a lot of fun yeah no, it, it's a super cool game and like it's also one that like anybody can play like it's super easy it's just like just punch as many times as you can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like, there's also like fun puzzles that go along with it. Embarrassingly, it takes me a long time to figure out some of the puzzles for this game that's supposed to be for children. They're hard for kids. I'm sure if there were a kid next to you, they would be equally frustrated uh, for a yeah. long period of time. So yeah. yeah. All right. But so that ends the show. Thank you so much, Carrie, for joining me. No and, problem. Thanks for having me. Well, for our listeners out there, we'll see you next week.